0: Open your Bibles, if you will, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading at verse 6. I want you to listen carefully to the words that Paul wrote to Timothy. This is the last letter that Paul wrote, 2 Timothy. So listen to his words, beginning at verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Then notice carefully verse 9. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Now go to verse 21. Verse 21, first part of it. He says a second time, Do thy diligence to come before winter. We're going to be looking at this last part of coming before winter. I want you to walk with me through uh, what Paul must have wanted Timothy to do. It was Monday morning, and the mail had just been delivered to the church at Ephesus. Timothy, the young pastor, was sitting at his desk, thumbing through it. There was one letter that caught his eye. He looked up at the postmark, and it was Rome. Quickly, he tore the envelope open, took out the letter, and began to read. Dear Timothy, I've been arrested again, and I'm a prisoner in Rome. With sadness, I must tell you that the believers in Asia Minor have deserted me. Demas has forsaken me. Timothy, I'm all alone. I want you to come to see me. And when you come, I want you to go by Troas, stop at the house of Carpus, and pick up my cloak and the books and the parchment. And then he said, Timothy, and do your best to come before winter. Your father in the faith, Paul. Following his first arrest, Paul was released from prison for perhaps two or three years, but then he was rearrested under Nero again. Uh, during his first uh, imprisonment he was allowed to stay in his own hired house chained to a soldier of course but in his own hired house but this time it's different at this time he's in a dungeon dark and damp and dirty and cold in the wintertime he needs a few things for himself you know Paul's body at this time is frail He felt that death was intimate, there was no fear, and there was no complaint, no murmuring, just a shout of joy. He's looking forward not to release from prison, but for death to take him to heaven. Look closely, if you will, at verses 6 and 7 and 8, and in these three verses, Paul reviews his life. In verse 6, he said, I am now ready to depart. This is talking about the present. And then he said, I've fought the fight, I've finished the course, I've run the race. And that is talking about his past. And then he said, Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give unto me at that day. And that's talking about his future. So he reviews his past, and he reviews his present, and also his future. But now we must remember that in spite of all of this, Paul is a human being. Uh, He has learned how to be content. He said on one occasion, I've learned how to be hungry, and I've learned how to be filled. I've I've learned how to be content. But now in his loneliness in that dungeon, There are a few things that he wants, and he wants Timothy to come to see him and bring those things with him. And then he said, now, Timothy, do your best to come before winter. If you need three pegs upon which to hang your thoughts, these are the ones. We look, first of all, at the plea of Paul, and then secondly, at the peril of postponement. And then thirdly, at the priorities to pursue. With these three things in my mind and in your mind, let's look first of all at the first one, and that is the plea of Paul. Uh, He wanted two things. He wanted some companionship, and he wanted a few comforts. Look first of all at the companionship. Napoleon said at the end of his life, nobody loves me, and uh, I don't love anybody. Paul, on the other hand, loved everybody. And yet, when he came down to the end of his life, it seems that people moved away from him. They rejected him. And so he wants some companionship. Now then, in these, in these verses, you will find that there are two kinds of friends. fair weather friends and faithful friends. Uh, Paul mentions one of those fair-weather friends. His name is Demas. In the book of Philemon, verse 24, he said, Demas, my fellow worker. In Colossians 4 and verse 14, he said, Demas sends his greetings. And then here in verse 10 of chapter 4, he said, Demas hath forsaken me. Can you see the downward trend there? in the beginning, he said, he's my fellow laborer working side by side with me. And then he said, uh, he said, tell you hello. And now it says, Demas hath forsaken me. And the sting lies in the word forsaken. Because it means to leave one in a lurch. It means to leave one in a set of circumstances that you really need somebody to help you. And you know, man suffers the most. When he's wounded in the house of a friend. Demas has forsaken me. Now why did Demas forsake Paul? Well, there are many reasons that have been put forth. Uh, Was it because of possible persecution? Uh, Paul was in prison in Rome again. To be associated with him might possibly bring persecution to you. And Demas might have preferred the safety of Thessalonica and the security of it, that rather than to be persecuted with Paul in Rome, there was too much to jeopardize for him to stay in Rome. Or maybe it was some secret, besetting sin that Demas had fallen unto. Little by little, he might have begun to lower his standards. He may have started off by neglecting prayer, Bible reading. He wanted to be a Christian right on, but not a sold-out Christian, just Christian by name. He would rather retire from active Christian duty, and you and I as Christians should never retire from being actively Christian. Or was it because he simply became weary in well-doing, the Bible tells us that uh, we are not to be weary in well-doing. Some church members stop going to church and stop doing anything because they become weary. We call it burnout. Uh, what it is really is backsliding. But we don't like that word. Uh, you just burnout. Well, we are not supposed to burn out except for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here we find this man having left the side of Paul. Well, Paul settles the question in verse 10. He tells us in verse 10 why Demas left him. He said Demas fell in love with this present world and has gone back to Thessalonica. You cannot have Christ and the world at the same time. The spirit of the age will lay its hands upon you and choke, choke, choke the life out of you if you don't mind. There is a plant that grows in Brazil called the murderer. It's a vine, and that vine goes out on the ground until it reaches a tree. And then it begins to wrap itself around that tree, and it climbs all the way to the top squeezing the tree as it makes its way up. Once it reached the top, it puts out a big bloom. And in that bloom, there are seed. And those seed began to fall to the ground. And then all of those plants go seeking for another tree that they might kill it. You know that happens. Satan many times wraps around us with a vine of this world and chokes the very life out of us. Worldliness has destroyed many, many Christians. It has slain a lot of people. I can mention two or three as examples. Do you know what caused Achan to steal that Babylonian garment and that wedge of gold? Worldliness. Do you know what caused Haman to do the things he did and wanted, wanted to destroy the Jews? It was worldliness. You know what caused Demas to leave the side of Paul? It was worldliness. The love of the world caused Demas to leave Paul and let him himself become a castaway back in Thessalonica. There's a warning here. Paul said, set your affection on things above and not on the things of this earth. Having finished with this one fair weather friend, uh, he mentions three faithful friends, and the three faithful friends are in chapter four, verses four, whether well, it's 17 and verse four. The first f- faithful friend that he mentions is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you go back to chapter four, verse 17, he said, "Nevertheless, the Lord stood with me. You may be abandoned by Christians." but you will never be abandoned by Christ. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. When there's only one of you, there's always two of you. You can count on the presence of Jesus. When there is nobody else to stand with you, he will be there. Daniel could verify that when he was thrown into the den of lions. The Lord was with him. The three Hebrew children was cast into the fiery furnace, and nothing happened to them. And Nebuchadnezzar said to the men, Did we not cast in three men? They said, Yes. He said, I see a fourth one. And he's like unto a son of God. Yes, God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And then if you go down to verse 14, he said, Luke, Luke is with me. So brief. And yet, so full of meaning. Others may flee from Paul, but not Luke. You know, a friend loveth at all times, and this was a friend. I want you to notice something about Luke. You already know him. He was a Gentile, he was a writer, he was a medical doctor, Uh, he was a missionary. He traveled with Paul a good bit. We don't know everything about him, but there are a couple of things that I do know. First of all, I know he was saved. Dr. Luke was saved. I don't know how it happened. It may have happened something like this. Paul is preaching, and he has come to Troas. And in, at Troas, he becomes ill, he so sick that he had to go to bed. The believers gathered around him to pray for him. And he said to them, is there a doctor in Troas that would make a house call? Oh, yes, Dr. Luke is here. He said, send for him. And so Dr. Luke came, and he examined Paul and prescribed some medicine. In the meantime, Paul was telling him about Jesus and offering him salvation. And Luke came to know Christ as his own personal Savior. And then Luke accompanied Paul when he was in prison in in, uh, Jerusalem, in Caesarea. He journeyed with him to Rome. And he's now accompanying him while he's in prison the second time. I suppose that Luke knew every scar on Paul's body. Paul had been beaten. He had been stoned. And there's Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke. Bandaging up the wounds, pouring in ointment. Thank God for Dr. Luke. But now Paul has lost his popularity. The crowds are gone. The friends are gone. But here's Luke. Steadfast. Did you know that steadfastness is a virtue? Pray that God will make you and me steadfast. And then the third one that he mentions as a faithful friend is Timothy. Now, you and I know a lot about Timothy. He was a native of Lystria. And when Paul was uh, on his first missionary journey, he came from Derby to Lystria. The mob got so excited because of his preaching, they stoned him, dragged him out of the city, and left him. You know, Timothy was reared by a godly mother and a pious grandmother. And it may have been that young Timothy was among those believers that stood there by Paul. Maybe Timothy helped him up from the ground, let him get back into the city. And then Paul went on his journey. He came to the second journey, and when he came up this time, he found that Timothy had really grown in the Lord. Timothy, everybody knew him. They knew that he was a fine Christian man. And Paul must have asked his mother and grandmother, could I have Timothy as my associate? They agreed, and he began to follow with Paul. Now, years later, Paul is in that prison, and he summons Timothy. And said to him, I want you to come, Timothy. I want to see you. And when you come, I want you to bring a few things in life. Paul not only wanted some companionship, but he wanted a few comforts in his life. And so he said, uh, Timothy, when you come, I want you to go by Troas, stop at the house of Carpus, uh, pick up my cloak and my books and the parchment. And then he said, do your best to come before winter. Now, you know what the cloak was? It was a circular cape with a hole in it, like a poncho. And you drop it over your head, and it comes down uh, below your knees, warm in the wintertime. At night, you used it for a blanket. And that jail, that dungeon that Paul is in, is cold. He needs that cloak. And this cloak is something for his body. I wonder what color that old cloak was originally. I don't know. But now it's multicolored. It's been wet with the brine of the Mediterranean. There are a lot of blood stains on it because Paul had been stoned and Paul had been beaten. I don't know what color it is now. But in one way, that cloak was a companion of Paul. It was something for his body. But then he said, I want you to bring the books. Now, this is not the Bible. That's later. I want you to bring the books. This is something for his mind. Paul had written 13 books in the New Testament, and yet he wanted to read what others had to say. You know, it's a kind of sad commentary on many people today, especially preachers. I can talk about preachers because I've been around them a lot, and uh, I find a whole lot of preachers today that are satisfied with a surface understanding of God's Word and what somebody else may say about it. I can get insight as I read other books that men have thought about and prayed over and they've written down, and I can read them and I can, I can become a better preacher because of reading those books. But many today are not interested in intellectual ambition. They do not thirst for knowledge, and that is a sad thing. And then he said, now, Timothy, not only do I want you to bring the cloak and the books, but he said, especially the parchment. That's the Old Testament scriptures. That's the scrolls. Especially bring the parchments. He was saying something like this. Timothy, I know you're going to be loaded down when you come. And I do want my cloak and I would like to have the books. But if you have to leave something behind, leave the books and the cloak, I'd rather be cold in my body than cold in my soul. Especially, I want you to bring the parchment. Let me go quickly. I've taken too much time already, but you'll indulge me a few minutes. I want you to notice the peril of postponement. Paul Paul said to Timothy, do your best to come before winter. Delay must be avoided. Navigation on the Mediterranean Sea stopped about October the 15th and did not resume until April of the next year. And so he said, do your best to come before winter. If you don't come before winter, it'll be too late. Now, I wonder what Timothy did. When he read Paul's letter, I wonder if he put aside everything and made his way to Rome. I don't know. He was a busy pastor in Ephesus, and maybe he had a revival meeting at Philippi two weeks from then, maybe a family life conference at Colossae, and he said, I'll go just as quick as I take care of this, I'll go. And so he did all of that, but it's only late. It's late in September. He has plenty of time. And so the first of October, maybe the first week of October, packs his bag. He goes to uh, Troas and picks up the things Paul asked him to pick up. And then he goes down to the dock. He walks in, and there's a desk and a man sitting behind it. And he said to him, I'd like to buy a ticket on the next ship that's going to Rome. And he may have looked up at him and said, I'm sorry, young man, you know what? I slipped in a little bit early this year and the last ship sailed yesterday. Now, if that happened, I can imagine Timothy going back to his home. I can imagine him reproaching himself all the winter long. Every time he sat down by a warm fire, he thought about Paul shivering in a dungeon. Every time he picked up a book and began to read, he thought about Paul with nothing but 24 hours, 24 hours every day. When he picked up God's word and read it, no no scripture that Paul had in the prison, he thinks about all of that. And then I can imagine something like this happening. April finally came, and when it came, Timothy got up early. He was standing at the office door when it opened. He walked in, and he said, I want to buy a ticket on the next ship going to Rome. He bought the ticket. He got on the ship. They sailed to Petuliae, and he got off and started walking down the Appian Way, making his way into Rome, When he got into the city of Rome, he began to inquire about where the dungeon was. Somebody told him. He made his way to the dungeon, walked in the office. There was a guard sitting behind the desk. And he said to the guard, I'd like to see Paul, the prisoner that you have here. And he looked up at him and said to him, Oh, I'm sorry, young man. Paul was beheaded in February. Could that have happened? It could have. And then the guard said to him, you know, it was right funny, the old man, Paul. And the last few weeks of his life before he was executed, every time I would walk down into the dungeon, he'd say, is that you, Paul, Timothy? And I'd say, no. And then I'll never forget the day when I led him out to be executed. He kept turning. Looking back over his shoulder as if he were looking for someone. Uh, by the way, Timothy, he said, when Timothy comes, tell him I love him. I don't know that that happened, but it could have happened just like that. You know, there are some things that you and I must do before winter or else we will never have a chance to do them. There are some things that we must take care of, salvation, for example, because you never know when death is coming. You know, there are three dangers that are before you. I simply mention them. There's always the danger of death. David said, there is but a step between me and death. And then there is the disposition of the heart. The heart doesn't always remain the same. Some people go to church and they are moved by the Spirit of God. But they say, well, not today. I won't make a decision today. And then tomorrow, next Sunday, the next Sunday, their heart becomes a little bit harder. And finally, they can come and sit on a church pew and nothing. If these pews could talk, they could tell you about many people that sat on them who were moved by the Spirit of God. But they said, no, not today. I've got plenty of time. And they walked away, lost. What a terrible thing. And then there is the deceit of the devil. The devil will deceive you, and he will promise you that you have more time than you can imagine. Don't worry about it. You've got plenty of time. In the book of Acts, in chapter 24, Paul is standing before Governor Felix. And uh, Drusilla, his wife, is sitting by his side. And the Bible said Paul reasoned with him about righteousness, self-control, and judgment. And when he talked about righteousness, Felix thought about all the people that he had killed. When he talked about self-control, he looked over at Drusilla because he had stolen her from her husband. Then when he talked about judgment, he was shaking like a leaf in a storm. But the devil said, Felix, let's wait for a more convenient season. Well, that convenient season never came. Felix was deposed by the Romans and died of suicide, according to history. He waited too late. Well, don't put off what is needful to do today. Let me just close by giving you two priorities to pursue. One is salvation. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Salvation. If you're not saved, don't leave this building today lost. You may say, well, I don't know how to be saved. If you come, Randy, or some of us will talk with you, pray with you, you can be saved. That's the most important thing in your life. And then for those of us that have already trusted the Lord, there is sanctification. The Bible said that God sanctified us, but he said then we were to sanctify ourselves. And so we are to come in humble adoration of him for salvation. And then also, Lord, what do you want me to do in my life? And whatever it is, do it before winter. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you've given us, every one of us, chances over and over to be saved. And no doubt most of us in this building are saved, but there may be someone that right now know they're not saved. They've never repented of their sins and invited you to come into their heart. And Lord, I pray that you'll let them come today and say, Brother Randy, I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. And then if there are Christians here who need to renew their vows to the Lord, bring them today. And let us go away from this place saying, Lord, I've done exactly what you wanted me to do. And I did it before winter. Amen. Anne's going.